to Live Vedanta, a podcast where we explore simple living and high thinking. Each week, we join Vivek Gupta as he offers insights on bringing the divine into the daily. Vivekji has experienced much of what the world has to offer, whether it is attending an elite business school or traveling to almost 50 countries. However, tired with the inconsistent and incomplete peace associated with these pursuits, he decided to turn his journey within. Over the last decade, Vivekji has shared his observations on the signs of independent joy with communities across North America and beyond. In this week's episode, we talk about the experienced, experiencer, and experiencing. What are the differences? Let's tune in. Greetings from Iowa City. In 2009, Puja Swami had come to Chinmayadhara. And at that time, he inaugurated our ashram in Niagara Falls and said, This ashram will now be a spiritual powerhouse. Dhara. Chinmayadhara, this knowledge will flow into the community. And the people who are already dhara, they're flowing outwards. They're extrovert. They're externally looking for joy. With this knowledge, their vision will change from dhara to radha. When you reverse those letters, dhara turns into radha. The word Radha is a short form for Aradhana. Aradhana means someone who is ever worshipping. And naturally, someone who is ever worshipping is someone who is worshipable, no? And the next year, Swami Tejumayananda came for the Murti Stapana, to establish the icons in our center, and that is Bhagavati. Radha Krishna. And our Bhagavati Radha is always looking at Bhagavan Krishna. And Bhagavan Krishna is the icon for joy. When knowledge comes into our lives, all we look at, all we look for is joy. And now we've just completed Navaratri. And Deepavali is coming, and we all worship Mother Lakshmi. When I say Lakshmi, what do you think of? We always think about those hands up, right? With those gold coins shooting out and we hope to catch that. Now the Mega Millions lottery, right? Real Lakshmi is coming. Now it's $1.2 billion, I think, right? (laughs) And I've observed in some people's homes, they put Mother Lakshmi's feet from the outside coming to the inside. How come her feet don't leave that home? Huh? So you're going to control the mother of the universe in your home? What our Upacharya had taught us, he said you should also draw her feet leaving your home 
otherwise she's going to leave. She'll come to your home, but she'll leave with more than what she came with. Lakshmi doesn't mean wealth. Lakshmi, Lakshmi means laksha. The one who indicates that which is important, that which is the purpose. Mother Lakshmi is always massaging Bhagavan Narayana's feet, correct? Bhagavan Narayana is the embodiment of Rama, of joy. She's showing that we should have virtues. Lakshmi means wealth, but inner wealth. That inner wealth will lead us to that joy. Don't get lost in the symbolism. I'm simply sharing that every facet of Sanatana Dharma is ideally directing us to ourselves, to joy, to peace. And if we feel that there's any other purpose other than being independently joyous, then we are no different than a zombie. A zombie is someone who's alive, but not living. And last week I listed out those 14 zombies, yes? And I started writing about them too for those who um, received the Ivachara today. If our lives are not revolving around Krishna, are not revolving around Rama, that is joy, peace, we are obviously going to be distracted. If you feel that you're just distracted, that you can't focus, why does that come as a surprise? That should be obvious. Pleasure and possession and peace will never be able to hold our focus. And that's going from adults to young adults to youth to kids. I emailed Sheila today sharing that. I'm moderately scared of Yasa growing up because I interact with so many kids and I'm just leveled by how distracted they are. And I know part of the reason of that is that their parents are not making peace the priority. It is pleasure, it is possession, it is position. Acharya Shankara calls this anartha. In Mudgara, he says, Artha is Anartha. For someone who thinks the purpose of life is Artha, that is wealth, that person has Anartha, their life is meaningless. Artha also means meaning. They have no meaning in their life. There's no substance in their life. What we've studied in our text, Meditation and Life, thus far, is strongly encouraging us to be vigilant about what the vision for every breath, every thought is, and to make that vision peace so that our lifestyle follows suit. The work for 
When I work for purity, I create a, a critical quietude in my mind, a critical stillness in the intellect. All of our Vedantic lectures, all of our discourses on, um, on enlightenment, they all feel possible. You should visualize that this is the last opportunity you have. This is the last lifetime. I think there's a state called New Hampshire where the theme or the slogan for the state is live free or die. <laughs> so when I see that license plate, I always feel inspired. <laughs> that live free should be disciplined <laughs> so that uh, we don't die. <laughs> we move on to chapter three of meditation and life. And this chapter is entitled, The Basic Unit of Life. A rishi is a seer. A seer is someone who doesn't use sight, but they use vision. They have eyes, but they use their intellect. So that's what a rishi is. For someone to start to live a life with vision, that really means that they're independent. All of you bring your hands to your nose. Bring your hands to your nose. And now look at your hands. Can you see any part of your hand? You can't because it's too close. You have to be independent. Another word is detached to be able to see all of your hand, correct? So only a rishi can see the world as it is, rather than seeing a world that is interpreted by their fickle mind or their judgmental intellect. One who is independent is one who is independently joyous. And when you are happy, you cannot help but share that, right? If you visualize an infant, they're just so noisy <laughs> because they can't help but share, you know, that contentment that they experience. Now, a rishi doesn't make noise. A rishi shares in the form of a shastra. They've documented their enlightenment. They've documented their freedom in the form of a shastra. The shastras that we have access to, the shastras we need to access, are called the prasthana traya. Traya means three. Prasthana means to be firm, to have a foundation in ourselves. The prasthana traya in Vedanta, the highest or subtlest text, is called the Vedanta Sutras. We commonly know this as the Brahma Sutras. The focus here is Nyaya or logic. This is simplified in the Upanishads, also known as Vedanta. The premise of this is Shruti. So logic is the subtlest, more simplest, shuti, that which is heard, that which is theory-based. 
So you have logic and then theory. And simpler than this, the third part of this prasthanatraya is the Bhagavad Gita, which is the essence of the Upanishad. This is known as smriti or anubhuti or experience. To fundamentally be peaceful, we have to use experience, we have to use theory, we have to use logic. What I'm highlighting here is the experience. Only someone who is joyous, who has that experience, can guide someone else. An ignorant person doesn't know they're ignorant, correct? You need to be with someone. You need to read the words of someone who's knowledgeable. Our rishis taught their shishas. A shisha is someone who's ready for discipline, is ready to make peace their only pursuit. And the rishis taught these shishas, and the shishas became rishis. Then those rishis then taught more shishas who became rishis. This we call the guru-shishya parampara the tradition, the lineage of those who have vision and passing it on to those who are invoking vision. And what's lovely about this tradition is that each generation changes. Your grandparents are different than your parents, yes? In their choices and what's important. You are different than your kids, right? You're all thinking, thank God. Your kids are also thinking, thank God. <laughs> And that's why a Guru Shishya Parampara is needed where I'm holding on to the wisdom, but I'm observing the present generation and how to express how to get to happiness with the present generation. It's so practical. It's so experiential. What our Guru Shishya Parampara is sharing with us Every one of us is a genius. That exact word is used in the text. Every one of us has the potential to. The word supermanhood is used. Superpersonhood is what is our, um, our nature. So today, as I was making some notes, I Googled genius. And it was so much text, and I'm tired of reading actual words, so I switched it over to images. So what image came up for genius? Einstein. So many actual images, cartoon images of Einstein with his hair and his tongue and all of that. The next was Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> that, he has this show, I think, called Junior Genius or something like that, so there's a lot of, of his hits. And then the next was the Bollywood movie Genius. <laughs> you see, when we think of genius, we think along these lines of a scientist, and I have the most respect for Einstein, but he, he can study more, okay? And I'll get to that. <laughs> or a TV show or a movie. When we hear this, that our potential is genius, we should feel that our potential is to be a sage, 
to be a sadhu. That's what I meant about Einstein is certainly a scientist in the material world to also be a scientist in the metaphysical world. The purpose of living is to be someone who's developing themselves into a sage. And the more you develop yourself to be a sadhu, what's so lovely and remarkable is you realize it's not a discovery, it's a rediscovery. That you are always peaceful, you are always noble. So then the chapter continues. And the question posed is, what is living? Too heavy for a Tuesday night. What is living? You're supposed to say no, that we slept and we're ready. You're all saying, yes, please stop. Please do some guided imagery for us so we can pretend to contemplate and actually sleep. <laughs> what is living? A material scientist took stuff and kept on going into what is stuff, what is stuff, what is stuff, and came to the basic unit of stuff is atoms, is atoms. Now our rishis, they also went into what is living, what is living, what is living, and they came to the basic unit of living is experiences experiences living is this this unbroken experience from the time you have been conscious of yourself and actually even when you weren't conscious of yourself this has been an unbroken experience you know akanda anubhuti this unbroken um, experience we get the experienced, my jacket, my hair. I get the experienced, the cough drop I have in my mouth, etc. We get the experiencing also. I can taste the menthol. I can feel the polyester. I can feel the, the roughness. So the experienced, check. The experiencing, check. Do we get the experiencer who is the experiencer? And if you study a text like Dridrisha Viveka by Acharya Shankara, the name of this text means Viveka. There is a distinction between Drik and Drishya between the seer and the seen. And Acharya Shankara begins by saying, there are innumerable objects, but there are only two eyes, the seen and the seer, and they're different. When I see a black chair, my eyes don't turn black. He goes deeper. The eyes are two. But the one who knows the eyes, that is the mind, is one. When my eyes are dry, when my eyes are infected, nothing happens to my mind. And he goes deeper. The thoughts, 
are so many. How many thoughts a day do we have? 60,000. And the container for the thoughts, the mind, is one. But who knows the thoughts? Who knows the mind? Referencing another Shastra is Ramayana. Many people criticize Bhagavan Rama for shooting Vali in the back, correct? From behind. Do you criticize Bhagavan Rama for that? Vali is an icon for the ego. Everything in front of the ego, the ego will sap the energy of what's in front of that ego. Vali takes half of the energy of anyone in front of it. When the ego knows what you're doing, the ego will make you feel that you can't do it. Remember all of those negative thoughts we studied? Sthyana, I start to feel dull. Samshaya, I start to doubt. What you have to do is go behind the ego to overcome the ego. In the language of the Yoga Sutras, you have to transcend the thoughts. That is the spirit. That is the Atman. The experiencer is not the body. I reference the eyes. The experiencer is not the mind. I reference the thoughts. The experiencer is not the ego. If Vali was the most powerful, he would not be able to be defeated by Bhagavan Rama. The experiencer is the spirit. The implication being here is we give so much of our resources and time and effort to the experience, to the experiencing, but who is the experiencer? If you want to think of this in a very harsh way, if you're 60 years old, if you're 30 years old, for 30 years, for 60 years, we've been living without knowing who we are. That would be a great tragedy for someone to have amnesia for a week, for someone to be in a coma for a month. Not knowing who we are is... Really the same, isn't it? Amnesia, we studied avidya, we studied the zombies. The text meditation and life is not a fun text. This text is like moha mudgara. It is lashing. It is awakening. Moha mudgara means it's a hammer to moha. Where does moha live? In you. <laughs> moha lives in me. It's me pounding out what shouldn't be there. This text is the same and does, does so through inquiry. Keeps on building, building, building on inquiry. Make time in your day to inquire. The extrovert intellect is ever engaged in instruction. Tomorrow in guided contemplation, I will describe that. The introvert intellect is that which is engaged in inquiry. Who am I? Am I happy? And giving you lots of references to show you the interconnectedness of our shastras. One of the sutras in the Yoga Sutras is 
talking about the angani, the ashta angani, the eight limbs, the eight parts of yoga that are to be practiced. And this begins with yamas, which are the don'ts, then the niyamas, which are the do's. Next comes asana. Asana is postures for the body. Once the body is balanced, you can go deeper to pranayama, which is to create balance at the breath level. I had shared with all of you that control of the breath is not pranayama. Pranayama is when you naturalize the breath where you don't even know you are breathing. So many institutions have described pranayama as controlling the breath when it's not. Pratyahara, and this is a very important part of yoga. Pratyahara is when you shift from being an extrovert to being an introvert. It's that transition, and it's the mind that resists this so much. But we have to keep bringing the mind back. Pratyahara means to? Bring close. Once you bring the mind close, the flow kicks into dharana, dhyana, samadhi. Make time for this transition from being someone who's always instructing to being someone who's inquiring. Then the rest of this text, the rest of this course will be more meaningful if we don't inquire, you know what's going to happen. I shared with you earlier, what is our relationship with God, with Bhagavan? What are the two roles that Bhagavan plays for us? God is a dictator and God is a banker. He's a dictator whom I approach out of fear. He's a banker whom I approach out of greed. And we always say God lives there. God lives in an icon. God lives in me. Do you fear yourself? Do you beg from yourself? That's when we start to internalize the presence of God. When we inquire, this will not be, in, and this will not be a subjective science that is externalized. This will be a subjective science that is subjective. It's up to you. If you enjoyed what you heard or you want to learn more, share this episode with a friend or find us online at medium.com slash Vichara Gurukula. For those on the journey of self-development, Vichara Gurukula is a community forum that provides an opportunity to listen, reflect, and contemplate. This podcast is produced by the Young Adults of Chinmaya Mission, an international nonprofit working to transform individuals through the knowledge of Vedanta. Until next time, inspire, love, be.